Thank you for joining this edition of the Fiduciary Insights podcast series. I'm Todd Eckler, Chief Marketing Officer at Fiduciary Trust, and today we'll be discussing the growing concerns about the coronavirus and the impact on the markets. I'm joined by Hans Olsen, Chief Investment Officer at Fiduciary Trust, and our discussion will focus on the current state of the coronavirus in terms of outbreaks the expected impact on economic growth this year and the impact on the markets, and key considerations for positioning portfolios in this environment. So let's get started. Hans, the coronavirus has really been dominating the news cycle over the past several days and to some extent several weeks. I think a good place to start is just what is the coronavirus and how dangerous is it? Well, Todd, the the coronavirus is a beta coronavirus, and it is a uh, type of virus that is actually pretty common. It is generally associated with uh, the common cold or seasonal influenza. This virus is also the same uh, class of virus that we saw about a decade ago with SARS and then uh, earlier in the past decade with MERS, the Middle Eastern virus. In all of these viruses, they come out of an animal reservoir. In this case, it came out of, uh, it looks like it came from a bat, and it was spread through a, a live animal market in Wuhan, China. So, so it, has, it has shown an exceptional ability to spread. But uh, the good news is that it's not terribly lethal compared to MERS or SARS. In the case of MERS, that mortality rate uh, was some, somewhere on the order of about 30%. With SARS, it was somewhere between 10 to 15%. At this juncture, uh, the coronavirus, as they're calling COVID-19, is, is the, uh, the handle for it. Uh, mortality rate at last calculation was about 3.4%, up from 2.5% where it had been quite stable. We expect that number to come down. So not terribly lethal uh, virus. It is more lethal than the common cold, which has a mortality rate of about 0.1%. The point of all this is that if it really is impacting uh, those folks who are older or younger. Primarily, it's, it's the older population that uh, is suffering uh, mortality from it. And it's also particularly hard hit in uh, those, those areas with poor primary health care systems. Well, I, I guess it's uh, I mean, certainly tragic that some people are losing their lives as a result of this, but Indeed. we can also take some comfort, I guess, in the fact that it's a, it's a very low uh, mortality, mortality rate, rate. So, right. um, but it is highly contagious. And I guess on the level of contagiousness, this seems to be uh, spreading in the reports are coming out daily of um, the, the level of uh, exposure, and I saw that yesterday California is said to be monitoring over 8,000 cases there. And where are we in terms of the current state of spreading and containment? We're probably on the cusp of this epidemic becoming a pandemic. <clears throat> and, you know, a pandemic is when it appears in multiple countries and it's spreading from individual to individual that are away from the source of the initial viral jump. So at this juncture, I think we're probably days away from this being really officially classified as a pandemic. Primarily, though, most of the uh, last calculation, roughly uh, 96% of these, these confirmed cases remained in China. 
and indeed the the rate of new infections that are being reported, and so if the numbers can be believed, are starting to roll over in China. So perhaps all their exertions to date to get a hand to, to get handle around this uh, are are beginning to have some effect and, and getting successful. On the other hand, um, you know China is incredibly connected to the rest of the world, and people who were traveling in the area have taken it back to their home markets, and now the rest of the world is trying to get. A handle on on the um, beginning of the spread in in these other countries. Now they're particularly notable in Italy, Iran, South Korea, and now we're seeing more here in the United States. The good news in the United States is we have very good uh, primary care bulwarks against this. We have the Centers for Disease Control, so there's a great deal of information that's going out to the front line in order to um, uh, get containment around this. Well, it's certainly fortunate that China has taken this so seriously, and but it's also impacting their economy. I yeah. was uh, reading that the whole city of Wuhan, 11 million people, has been basically quarantined for a while, and also cities throughout the country are shutting down public places. I mean, what level of impact is this having on their economy, and and also elsewhere around the world? Where do you see this going? Well, with China specifically, I think the initial estimates of the impact are, are too optimistic. They're, they're, in other words, too low. The IMF uh, this past weekend uh, estimated that Chinese growth would go from somewhere uh, from 6% down to 5.6% this year. That's probably optimistic. As you said, you know, with the city closures and so we've been looking at uh, commercial activity more broadly in China, and we've looked at it through the lens of electricity generation, coal consumption, traffic patterns, uh, car sales, real estate activities. And through that lens, there has been a massive drop-off in commercial activity. That is going to have a direct impact on GDP. So our expectations for that, and, and it's all very fluid at the moment, but we would see a drop of uh, uh, economic activity in China somewhere on the order of 1% or more. So, so perhaps a bit more severe than what uh, the consensus uh, would be from, from folks like the IMF. And what about other countries? Is it too early to say how it's going to impact uh, too, elsewhere? Too early to say. Uh, again, most of this is located in China, but it's beginning to bleed out into other countries. And it will be the preventative actions that are taken in those countries mm. will determine how much uh, of an economic impact will be. Again, if we look back to the IMF data, they expect only 0.1% of growth to be impacted by that. Again, that's probably optimistic, whether it's uh, uh, you know, a half percent or something on that order will, remains to be seen. But what we do know at this juncture is that there will be a hit to global GDP this year. It'll probably be uh, front-end loaded, so the first half of the year. If past is prologue on this type of thing, and we've seen this before with SARS and, uh, and the bird, the avian flu, mm. uh, I think that was about a decade ago, is that the, the, the disruption ends up being while societies try to get ahead of the viral spread. And then, and that's where the economic hit is. Once they've got mm. their, they're ahead of the, the spread, activity bounces back. The, the core thought there is that it's consumption that is delayed and not consumption that is destroyed. So people will come back later and buy those cars or whatever That's right. it is. That if you're in China right now, orders. you're not yeah. looking around. You can't go outside to look for your to buy that new car or yeah. that new couch. 
but once the all clear is sounded, you still need that couch and you still want that car, so uh, you'll go out and make that purchase at that juncture. And then, then that'll get back into the, um, uh, the velocity of money at that point. I wanted to shift gears and, and talk a bit about the markets. Uh, there have been uh, clearly a lot of pullbacks in the global equity markets over the last uh, several days. Uh, markets have dropped significantly from their recent peaks. Yeah. Do you think people are overreacting? Uh, is this decline warranted? Well, that's a good question. Indeed, to your good point, um, markets now in the United States and in Europe are in proper correction. So we're down uh, more than 10% from the peaks. I guess to put this into uh, proper context, you have to understand where we, before we're coming into this, this epidemic, where markets were, what they were pricing. And it's possible to look at market optimism um, through, through the internals. And the easiest way to do that is look at discount rates. So what are markets pricing? What are the interests, um, what are the, what, what rate are investors discounting future profits relative to today's prices? Very low discount rates would suggest very high um, optimism, very high certainty. Very low uh, discount rates would, would suggest very high um, uncertainty. And the coming into this epidemic, the discount rates on the American market, um, based on the way that we were looking at it, were exceptionally low, indeed at lows that we haven't seen in 20 years. So that it, it suggested sort of this level of optimism, indeed complacency about the future, uh, not over one year, but over multiple years, that uh, just didn't seem to make sense, right? It, it really wasn't discounting any uh, geoeconomic disruptions in the form of trade wars or geopolitical disruptions, whether, you know, hot spot breakouts in the Middle East or, or with Russia, or the political uncertainty that, that inevitably comes with a, an election year, which is what we're in right now. So it was pricing none of that. And then you have this event come along, and it's spectacular in nature. It creates, uh, you know, really blaring headlines that are that, that impossible to escape. And, and, and as a result of that, there is a fundamental re-rating of equities. Now, whether it would be, you know, uh, COVID-19 or something else, we were due for this. And, yeah. and indeed, it was getting dangerously, uh, the markets were getting dangerously uh, uh, complacent in, its, in their view of the future. So if anything, in, in a very perverse way, this ends up being a, a healthy reset and reminder that, you know, the world is an unsa uh, uncertain place. Does it fundamentally change our thinking about the U.S. equity market or the international opportunities? No, it's really more about an what are the opportunities that this is creating. From our portfolio perspective, Todd, we, um, we did not chase these markets as they were making new highs. Uh, we, we definitely are positioned more, um, more critically, thinking that we would actually see some sort of uh, pullback this year, and by gosh, we're getting it right now. Well, so, I mean, we've had quite a run in 2019, and the markets um, were up, what, 30-plus percent in the U.S., and earnings certainly didn't go up anywhere near that, and so uh, that really got to be a disconnect between earnings and, uh, and company valuation. So it sounds like if this hadn't been what set off a correction in the marketplace, we were due 
for something to bring it back to normal valuation levels. Right. For, from our way of thinking, we were absolutely, it was absolutely certain that something would come along and knock this sort of almost Panglossian sense of optimism off its perch, and markets would, would suffer an uh, so extreme bout of volatility. Remember, we're down, uh, what, 12% in the U.S. from its peak. That is not an unusual thing to happen over the course of a calendar year. Um, you know, declines of 6 to 12%, 6 to 14% are, are generally a regular feature of equity market investing. Um, now, the headlines around this are spectacular, right? Yes. The uncertainty around this is significant. But the fact that markets are, are, are struggling with this is not surprising at all. And if anything, it's a healthy reminder that we should look at the future with some measure of skepticism and the possibility of what can go wrong as well as what can go right. So as we do look to the future, given where we are now, the markets have pulled back a bit. We have this uncertainty about the economic impact of the coronavirus. How do you think about the markets for the rest of the year? Well, without a doubt, we are, the confidence has been shattered. It's in the process of being shattered. Um, and it's going to take some time for a new consensus to be rebuilt about where we go from here. I think if we look through this, uh, as we were talking about earlier, the growth that is delayed, the, the consumption activity that's delayed in the first half of the year will reappear in the second half of the year. Any hit to earnings that are made manifest from this will likely be recovered uh, in part in the back half of the year. And consequently, the markets are going to go through a period of churn. Now, my guess is that this will, we're in the period of churn for the next four or five weeks while the, the epidemiological trends on this get established and, and you know, uh, societies get a chance to get, try to get ahead of this. There will be inevitable calls for cuts in interest rates. I, I saw this morning that uh, there are calls, there are expectations for three interest rate cuts this year, um, whereas before, you know, if people were thinking anywhere between zero to two. My guess is, is that, you know, if the, if the central bank does something to that extent, it's really to make people feel good. The impact that it really will have on consumer behavior is de minimis at best. It's really more of a signaling activity for confidence than it is to uh, bolster activity. You can make money cheap. It's already cheap. It doesn't mean people will right. use it, right? So, uh, you know, for us, where we're looking at this opportunity when you have this type of sell-off across the globe, uh, and, and if our core thesis is right, that we will, this will all reset and normalize in the second half of the year, this gives us an opportunity to start looking at areas that we've been quite interested in the past, but were quite frankly too expensive for mm -hmm. us to feel confident committing any capital to. And what we have right now is an environment where some of these, uh, some of these sectors of the market are getting to be quite interesting and quite appealing, and, and we're looking to build the case to perhaps put some capital there as a result. So it sounds like from a portfolio construction and, and uh, allocation perspective, the long-term portfolios that you have in place are the place that you think they should be for this kind of market environment, but there could be some opportunistic buys to, to really make some tactical adjustments to take advantage of some of these uh, corrections. Is that, That's right. Is that right? That's right. When you, when you have these types of events, whether they be geopolitical trade or, in this case, a health uh, emergency, what you really have to ask is what 
um, there are several things. Does this change fundamentally consumption patterns uh, in different economies? And does this introduce systemic levels of risk that will be uh, enduring and that you would factor into your discounting of, of these future cash flows? And if you can come to a point where you can be constructive on either of those two fronts, then you can start to look for opportunities. Um, so you, you sort of, you can take advantage of, of, the, um, of the dislocations. Great. Well, hopefully that will create some uh, some really interesting buy opportunities out of a challenging situation for the world dealing with this uh, coronavirus. We have we've certainly seen in some of the lesser publicized outbreaks like Ebola and so forth, there was a lot of concern initially, and then the efforts that people around the globe took to contain it really paid off, and then it didn't end up being as big of an issue. And hopefully will have some measure of that now, although this is obviously a much more contagious but less uh, deadly virus than, than that. So it is a different situation. But I know you'll be staying on top of the developments of this, keeping our clients informed of where things are going and how it might influence our investment perspectives. And we also encourage our clients to reach out to their investment officers if they have questions or want to get additional thoughts on our perspective on these particular topics or their investment portfolios. Wanted to thank you, Hans, for joining our Fiduciary Insights podcast today. And if those who are listening also uh, want to reach out to Fiduciary Trust Investment Officer and you don't have one, feel free to contact Rick Tyson at 617-292-6977 or Tyson at fiduciary-trust.com. Thank you for joining today. Please note that the opinions expressed in the discussion are as of the date issued and subject to change at any time. Nothing contained herein is intended to constitute investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice, and you should discuss any proposed arrangement or transaction with your investment, legal, or tax advisor.